your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Two wide outs to the left. Mills in the backfield with Martinez. Adrian gets the snap, gives it off to Mills. Mills spins away. He's to the 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Tight looking, the sideline steps on the bounce. Inside the 30-yard line. Gadrick Mills has been a man today here in Lincoln. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Rohr. We are here. You got your shopping all done, folks? Time's starting to run out on you. You've even... You've checked off one of your Christmas celebrations, right? Yeah, we, we had a Christmas gather. We Actually, two. You're done. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Uh, we, uh, my, my side of the family, my, my mother's side of the family was okay. Saturday. Okay. And then, uh, yes. Were you, were you down in Beatrice? I was. Okay. Back in the homeland. Uh, and then yesterday, I had to be Santa Claus. Uh, hopefully none of the youth that attended that gathering are listening right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I was in close contact with Santa yeah, there Claus. You go, Let's there put you it go. that You're way. One of the yeah, elves. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Ellie's, uh, Ellie's mom's extended family was yesterday. Okay. So, so we, we, I've already gotten a big bucket full of Christmas and this is, this is my break night. And then the next two days ankle deep in it. Very good. Very good. Well, folks, you this is the twenty third, so you still have tomorrow, but uh, time's starting to tick, tick out down on you here as we get close to the big day. All right, here's what we have coming up in the program tonight. We're going to start tonight. You've got Nate and I all week, so we thought this is the end of a decade. We're going to flip into a new decade here in about ten days with New Year's Eve. So we thought let's put together an all Husker football team all decade squad, and we're going to start tonight with the offense for Nebraska over the last 10 years. This is going to be fun. We're going to dive into that here in just a little bit. We'd love your input as well. Hour number two, we'll continue our countdown of top 10 games that were broadcast here on the Husker Sports Network in 2019. We did 10 through 6 last week. Tonight is number 5, so we'll dive into that at the beginning of hour number two. Adam Rittenberg, who usually appears with us on Monday nights, We'll do so tonight. He's an ESPN.com college football writer. It's a big week. Can you believe the semifinals are five days away? It feels weird. I mean, it, to go so quickly from Christmas to the two most important college football games of the year. I mean, we're used to having Christmas. Take a breath. You've got the whole week to lead up. And then, of course, New Year's Day usually is the big college football day. But, of course, with the playoffs – with the Rose Bowl being the stick in the mud that they have always been, thanks for nothing. Uh, New Year's Day, which should be your playoff semifinal mm-hmm. day, instead is watered down. And we were talking about this earlier. Either Clemson or Ohio State is going to be sitting, watching for four days you know, before New Year's Day. And you think of all the teams that are going to play and all the teams – that are going to be playing after either Clemson or Ohio State. Two teams that, but for a different set of circumstances, could be national champions. It just feels weird. Yeah. The Cotton Bowl is also Saturday. So you have the Cotton Bowl, which is part of the New Year's Six, but not 
this year in the rotation for the playoff. And then you'll have the Fiesta and the Peach, which are the other the two semifinal games this year. Yeah. So the it, Cotton Bowl, you'll scratch that off. That's 11 a.m. kick on Saturday. It's interesting. The Cotton Bowl's kind of weird or has had kind of this weird uh, sort of path because even though they've moved away from the traditional stadium, even though they've moved away from the traditional date, that game's gotten some new life, mm-hmm. uh, even though they're playing on the 28th. I mean, I think of all those years where the Cotton Bowl would be, you know, the first game, New Year's Day, it'd be the one game Fox had put on TV for college football. It, it lost a lot of luster in the late 90s after the, after the fall of the Southwest Conference. And, of course, this year the Cotton Bowl Stadium on New Year's Day they're playing a hockey game. Let's get real weird. To your point, after Ohio State plays, win or lose, you still have Illinois' bowl game, Wisconsin's bowl game, Michigan's bowl game, Minnesota's bowl game, and Indiana. So five Big Ten teams will have their bowl games after the Buckeyes. And I kind of think Ohio State's going to win Saturday. But if they get beat, their season's going to be over before five Big Ten teams as well. That's just weird. I mean, you think of the structure of college sports – whether it's the NCAA basketball tournament, whether it's regionals, you know, for the bat and ball sports or whatever, usually, well, any sport, really, with, with playoffs. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the best teams are the last one. You know, that's why they always talk about the last team standing being the best ones. And because college football is this weird, overgrown, weed-ridden enterprise, <laughs> you've got the weird circumstance of a team – being one of the best four in the country, but sitting there for three weeks. So you shouldn't have any weeds if you have a bad boy mower, uh, which the bad boy mower would bowl is today. Good. <laughs> With UCF. You, you know, kids dream of playing in front of 15,000 people in a, name, in a game named for pirates and a mower company. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Come on. Bowl season's here. I'm hey, okay I, with that. I, I'd be happy if Nebraska were in that game, uh, especially at the pirate ship in Tampa. Absolutely. That'd be okay. But yeah. at the same time, it's just it's a little tacky. Yeah. I can't argue with you there. All right, so Adam Rittenberg will be with us in Hour 2. We'll have our weekend rewind start at Hour 3. And as always, phone lines open and available for you at 866-HOSCAR-1, 866-487-5371. Well, there was... Husker action over the weekend. Both the men's and women's basketball teams played. The women, a winner yesterday, beat the Jaspers of Manhattan rather handily. That was their last non-conference game. Amy Williams' squad 10-1. and They did the work. They have laid the groundwork to be a postseason team with what they did in the non-conference. So they took care of business. They'll open league play this Saturday, same day as the playoffs, for college football against Iowa at PBA. The men. Um, very, very disappointing Saturday, late afternoon, early evening at Pinnacle Bank as North Dakota came in and knocked off the Big Red 75-74. You and I, on this program Friday, talked about the trap game element of playing right before the guys scatter for a few days to celebrate the holidays with their families. We've talked about, we talked about how that, that kind of game – and that time of year has tripped Nebraska basketball up in the past. And that Nebraska, you were going to see, can they overcome that? Do they have a decent week? Well, according to the head coach, they had a pretty good week of practice. Their film session was good. Their walk through the morning of the game was good. And yet, a very, very disappointing loss on Saturday. 
just a big step back for this program. And unfortunately, you worried about Nebraska's ability to string together three good efforts in a row. Uh, obviously, they played pretty well at Indiana, and they played really well at home against Purdue. And then the ability to put aside the idea that, hey, we're going home, we're going to get some days off. You see this with teams all the time, as we said, where their game before Christmas tends to be a mental challenge. And between having to deal with that distraction, having to deal with going home, dealing with success, thinking you're a little better than you are. And also, this was a huge game for North Dakota. I mean, these guys are upper Midwest guys for the most part. They're they grew up in Big Ten country, so to play a Big Ten team and to have a chance to test yourself against a big conference team, one team, you know, you hate to reduce it to the most simple thing, but one team wanted it more than the other, and that was North Dakota, and so Nebraska started out slowly. That gave North Dakota some confidence, and the hole was just too big for Nebraska to overcome, and so it's a good lesson for this team that, that you've just got to bring it every single night that you go out there. As simplistic as that idea is, I it set up pretty naturally as a trap game with the opponent, with having played not just two Big Ten teams, but before that you had played Creighton and Georgia Tech. So you'd played four big conference schools in a row, and you had to get over this one little scrimmage, and then you could go and see your family and everything for Christmas, and and they couldn't handle the distraction of what was ahead and put it aside for 40 minutes and beat a team they should have beat. If you were at the game or if you listened to the game – it wasn't a fluke. North Dakota, Nate, led for 33 minutes and 45 seconds of the game. So they led mm-hmm. basically the entire game. They made shots. They made big shots. And to me, when I look at the stat sheet, the, the issues weren't for Nebraska offensively. Nebraska shot 47.3% from three, missed some free throws, granted. It was on the defensive end. They just mm-hmm. didn't defend North Dakota very well because North Dakota shot 47%, 35% from three. So it just it, the effort wasn't there on defense. They allowed a team that's not that good on the offensive end to be pretty good on Saturday. And, and that's what it that that's why it's so worrisome because effort's the one thing you can control. I mean, there are days where that, where that rim's a little unkind to you. And so you have to give great effort every single game. I mean, this team is not good enough to overcome bad effort and and not many are, but especially this one, as flawed as it is, as many issues on paper as this team has, they're not good enough to overcome you know, just going through the motions and especially on the defensive end of the floor where your effort manifests the most, uh, it wasn't there for this team. And so I think it's another wake-up call for these guys. It's another adjustment. And and I'm sure those first couple of practices, once everybody gets back from Christmas break, will will reflect the toughness and, and competitiveness that Fred Hoiberg's looking for the rest of the way. The team was allowed to leave after the game Saturday, and they're supposed to report back to Lincoln. They have a practice on the 26th on Thursday, so they're probably all coming back the night of Christmas to get back in town for the practice sessions on Thursday. It was just, it, and this may be this way all season long. This may be one of those seasons, Nate, where it's one step forward, a couple steps back, all the way to the finish line of this season because there was no doubt what they did in Indiana and what they did against Purdue were giant steps forward for the program. But then it kind of, you just lose the momentum when you go 
do that on Saturday. And, and you got to sit with it for a week, a too. Week. And, and you go home, and people are going to ask you, well, what, what, what was happened that? against North Dakota? Yeah. What, 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 what were you guys doing? And, and the, I'm sure the guys will stew on it. Cam Mack was, was pretty vocal after the game about uh, the lack of effort he saw from his teammates and how frustrated he was with that. And, and hopefully – that leads to a good outcome. Hopefully that leads to Cam Mack and a lot of these guys being really hungry when they get back from Christmas break to go out to to give their best effort first at practice and then in that Corpus Christi game before conference play heats up again. But there are just going to be so many learning moments, teachable moments, steps back, like you said, by this team uh, you know, you're really starting with a blank page with these guys. And yeah, you have to think that these guys are learning absolutely everything about winning basketball at this level. I mean, anything beyond the basic, you know, shoot the ball through the hoop. It's, it, it's something these guys need to learn. And unfortunately, this is one of the things they're learning the hard way, how to give great effort game in, game out every single game. We told you Friday Gervais Green was cleared, was going to play. He did. He played a little over 15 minutes, did not start. One of two from the floor, including the three-point make, four rebounds, two assists, no turnovers, no block shots, no steals. Pretty May line, um, but at least he's back out there, gave Nebraska another body on the floor. It was by far Matej Kavasa's best game as Oscar, four for five from three-point range. He did miss a late three, but he was four for four at one point, missed a late three. But maybe that'll get him going a little bit because if he can become a good shooter, knock down some open threes, he can really help this team in the back half of the season. Sure, free some things up in terms of driving lanes and things like that. And You always need more shooters. You need more guys that you can trust out on the edge to, to give them a, a look at three. And it, it would be a nice addition to this team if Kavas could be a three-point shooter off the bench. All right, that's what we've got on the program tonight. Again, if you want to be a part of it at any point in time, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Maybe you're sitting in the parking lot while your significant <laughs> other went in to grab a few things and you wanted to chat. We, we're here for you tonight here on Sports Honey. We'll come back and we'll break into the offensive look at the Huskers, the all-decade team for Nebraska football. This is going to be fun. We're going to get into that next. House GMC for the 2019 GMC Sierra 1500. The Sierra redefines what it means to drive a pickup, leading the class in front head and legroom, along with heads-up display and a rear camera mirror to help improve your driving experience. Plus, technology that puts you in control and allows you to pair with your smartphone. Shop WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom at 119th and L Street today. We are professional grade. You knew the risks when you decided to drive drunk. There could be a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But that didn't stop you, did it? You knew you could get arrested. You could incur huge legal expenses. And you could possibly even lose your job. You were well aware of the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You were wrong when you said it was no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Brought to you by the NDOT Highway Safety Office. This is the Husker Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. You're listening to Sports Nightly. 
Dream Bigger, the story of Husker Volleyball's ascension from good to great under Coach John Cook is out now. Hear from John Cook, Terry Pettit, Nancy Metcalf, Lindsey Peterson, Kayla Banworth, Kelly Hunter, and the voice of Husker Volleyball, John Baylor, as we chronicle the Huskers' decades of dominance. You can find this Husker Sports Network original podcast presented by JTEC Construction wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you follow Husker Sports Network so you never miss an episode. For nearly 50 years, Noddle Companies has carried on a tradition of bringing great developments to Husker Nation. As a commercial real estate developer, property manager, and investment company, we believe the community is our client. Visit some of our latest projects in Omaha, like Hartwood Preserve in the Builders District or River's Edge in Council Bluffs. Don't forget to check out the Inner Rail Food Hall, coming this fall to Exarbon Village. For more information on our projects, visit noddlecompanies.com. Go Big Red! Choose Woodhouse Lincoln. From the power of the Navigator to the elegance of the Continental, Lincoln has a vehicle for your lifestyle. And they're bringing you even more with the all-new 2019 Lincoln Nautilus. Distinctive design and Lincoln Copilot 360 technology makes the 2019 Lincoln Nautilus a perfect choice. See all of our inventory at woodhouselincoln.com or stop at 66th and Allen, Omaha for a test drive. Delivering selection, service, and confidence in your next vehicle purchase. This is Woodhouse Lincoln. From the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, I'm Grace Fitzgibbon with Campus News. The Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts has only been open for a semester, and it's already helped UNL become a Hewlett-Packard Educause campus of the future, first in the Big Ten and joining the likes of Harvard, Yale, and MIT. The partnership provides students the latest high-tech equipment to develop skills in design, storytelling, computational creativity, and entrepreneurship as they become transformational creative leaders. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! Kiss, the end of the road tour. One last kiss. February 25th, Pinnacle Bank Arena. Kiss on their final tour ever. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. History will be made. A 43-yard field goal with a ticket to the championship on the line. Here's the stuff. At this moment, who you voted for doesn't matter. What kind of car you drive, how much money you make, what kind of music you listen to, or how many followers you have doesn't matter. At this moment, the only thing that does is football. Visit footballmatters.com. Our Sports Highly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family. Bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service experience that differs purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Greg Sharp, Nate Roar with you here on a Monday Night Sports Alley here on the Husker Sports Network. And we're going to have some fun throughout the week talking about the all-decade team. Or ones we put together anyway, all-decade team for Husker football as Nebraska's played, unfortunately, their last game of the decade. Coming a couple weeks ago against the Iowa Hawkeyes. So... Nate, Tim is here with us tonight. We're all going to throw out. We're going to start with the offense tonight. We'll do defense Thursday, special teams on Friday. And let's start with the skill position, and let's start with the position in football, and that's the quarterback spot. And, Nate, when I look back at this decade, your choices were Taylor Martinez, Tommy Armstrong, kind of a season of Tanner Lee, and then the last couple years with Adrian Martinez. Those are really 
your four choices. Right, and you can pretty much tap it down to the first two. Uh, Adrian's put up some good numbers in his first two years, but it's early, and you know this year was pretty up and down. So it, it would be he hasn't done enough to get on on an all decade team, and I think we'd all agree that Tanner Lee's single years, the starting quarterback, was was pretty indistinguished. So it, it came down to Taylor Martinez and Tommy Armstrong for me, and look, Taylor Martinez especially his freshman year, anytime he got the ball, you were ready to stand up. You were ready to move. And, you know, as a passer, it was up and down, but in the end he completed 60% of his passes and had basically a two-to-one touchdown to interception ratio. So uh, because of the higher ceiling, I think Tommy Armstrong was a little more consistent, but because of the higher, higher ceiling, Taylor Martinez is my all-decade quarterback. Okay. Tim Kern, did you have some fun with this project? I did, yeah. My objective list is complete. I punched all the numbers in my supercomputer and compiled a completely perfect list. So I'm very excited. Wow. Public. Can't, can't wait to hear it. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to start by deferring with Nate a little bit because that was obviously the call. It's between Taylor and Tommy, and it was a really tough one to make. But if you're going by sheer dynamism alone, you'd probably pick – uh, Martinez, of course. However, I had to side with Tommy just because of what Nate mentioned is the consistency. I thought he had a little bit better decision-making skills. And, of course, you remember the, some of those games, the heart attack Huskers, where Tommy just seemed like he was just a winner. I mean, he just led all these these comebacks, and he had that leadership quality. I think Taylor had that too, but with Tommy, I think the maturity was pretty evident. I think he's the career holder uh, as well in, in passing yards for the school and passing completions and passing touchdowns uh, for a reason. He probably doesn't get enough credit, um, Tommy does. And so uh, for me, it had to be Tommy Armstrong, but it was pretty razor thin margin. It's pretty close. Tough call. So I guess I'm the tiebreaker. You are. Right? Because I agree with you. It, to me, it's, it's only those two and Adrian's third. But and if Adrian had one more year, he might certainly be in this discussion. Sure. And, and for me, guys, what it came down to was which quarterback led his team to more success. And for me, that made it Taylor Martinez, who got Nebraska to two conference title games the game against Oklahoma where Nebraska got off to the 17-0 start the last game Nebraska played as a member of the Big 12 conference and then the second year as a member of the Big 10 Taylor got Nebraska to the conference title game their only appearance in Indianapolis where they got shellacked no doubt by Wisconsin but he had an unbelievable highlight reel and and I love Tommy Armstrong and I love the heart of Tommy Armstrong and he willed Nebraska to a couple of wins but the overall and maybe Tanner played on better teams probably did but for me that was the deciding factor yeah Taylor Martinez was just so individually dangerous with the ball Tommy Armstrong was gritty he was tough uh, seemed to be a pretty good leader uh, that 2016 Oregon game where where his hamstring was pretty well shot and he hobbled his way into the end zone for the touchdown to give Nebraska the lead I mean that that was a great show of toughness but all that considered who was tougher to defend I think it's pretty clearly Taylor Martinez I think Brett this probably is worth a Twitter poll tonight and you can put that out and I think your third choice is Adrian sure so I think you can go Taylor 
Tommy, Adrian, and you can, I guess, throw out another, but I'm not, I'm not sure you go with Riker Five or Ron Kellogg, but uh, you might be able to do that. I think we can get that up and get a Twitter poll going. Okay, let's go to let's go to running backs next. Tim, I'll let you lead us off on running backs, and we're picking two. I hope uh, hope uh, you pick two for your category. Who are your two? Oh no, my fullback selection will now be uh, rendered irrelevant. But no, well, yeah, because we <laughs> really don't haven't used a fullback other than yeah. Mike Riley tinkered with it for yeah. half season. Uh, sure. Yeah, I've got. I think the two running backs. For me, it was a pretty easy choice. And the first one I'll go with was Amir Abdullah. And, you know, it's hard to think of a guy, um, at least for me, um, is seeing a guy in person be he's, he has to be one of the most exciting players that I've actually seen uh, in the uniform. I mean, you remember that McNeese State play where Amir Abdullah pulled that touchdown out of nowhere and he walked the game off. It was extremely incredible. He had, th- had three straight, I believe, 1,000-yard seasons, and I think he only trails Mike Rogier in total mm-hmm. career rushing yards. So he has the numbers, he had success in Nebraska, and he's still um, in the NFL. And what an exciting player, and Amir Abdullah easily, easily made the all-decade team okay how about your second one uh rex burkhead for me a fan favorite and it's pretty easy to see why i mean rex uh you know he he was underestimated by a lot of people just because how he looks like he doesn't look like he has a lot of speed but uh he certainly does and of course now he plays for the world's greatest nfl team but that's not the (laughs) that's a discussion we can have we can have later but uh no rex burkhead for me um would be the other running back and uh again another really exciting player i believe he also had a thousand yard rushing season so so rex and amir to me they're a cut above everyone else you know when you think of the decade you start with those two other candidates for this would have been terrell newby who had a really good season a couple years ago. Divina Zigbo had a great year um, two years ago playing in the Scott Frost offense. But those are probably three and four. Am I missing anybody in the decade besides Terrell and, and Divine that would even be kind of in this realm? No, no, not at all. I the, the Burkhead and Abdullah were really the only two big workhorse running backs for multiple years uh, in this decade. And, and yeah, it, it was a pretty easy choice to go with Burkhead, even taking off his freshman year of 2009. I mean, he still rushed for just under 3,000 yards his last three seasons, the three seasons that were actually in this decade. And then Amir was over 4,500 rushing yards. And, I mean, both guys were just game-breaking players and, and, and you know, really poster children for Nebraska football. I mean, in every respect, played hard, played well, good sportsmen, good representatives of the program, just anything you'd want out of somebody in that red and white uniform. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement. All three of us have Rex and Amir as our two backs. Okay, for wide receivers, we went with three, and this one, it gets crowded. I mean, there's a lot of guys to choose from. You've got guys like Kenny Bell, Quincy Anunwa, Jordan Westerkamp, Stanley Morgan, uh, J.D. Spielman certainly is going to get a look at toward the end of this decade, the numbers that he's put up. He's already in the top ten in every big-time category for the Huskers. For me... I went, guys, with Kenny Bell. I went Quincy Anunwa because of his ability to block on the edge. I just felt like he was a complete wide receiver. He didn't. He isn't as high up the charts as some of these guys with all-time catches and those type of things, but he was such a complete wide receiver with his ability to really block on the edge. And then Jordan Westerkamp was my third. I think we're going to differ on these three. Yes, we will, because due respect to – Quincy Anunua, who was very good out on the edge. And like you said, a complete wide receiver. I mean, just just a big body, a guy who could win battles, everything else. And Jordan Westerkamp, who is a very 
sound wide receiver. But the fact of the matter is, in Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman, I think you're talking about two of the best pure wide receivers in school history. And, and that's J.D. Spielman after three years. Uh, stopping the tape right now. I mean, he's still at 2,500 yards. He has more yards than Jordan Westerkamp had for his whole career. He has three more catches than Jordan Westerkamp had in his whole career. Now, I understand that J.D. played the first couple of years of his career, in a pro, or at least first year of his career in a pro-style offense. But at the same time, three years defeating four years of production, that's what pushed J.D. Spielman on the list for me. Stanley Morgan, first Husker to go over 1,000 yards receiving. And, and, and like a Nunwa, fairly complete player. Big, yeah. strong, physical and then Kenny Bell just electric out on the edge and, and maybe the best pure wide receiver of them all uh, out of this decade for Nebraska. Certainly, uh, I, I had to go with Kenny and a good blocker out on the edge, too. So for me, it's Bell, Spielman and Morgan with strong apologies to a noon one was and Westerkamp. OK, Tim. Yeah, this one was another really tough call, too. But I, I think I agree with uh, the majority of what you guys said. I do have. Jordan Westerkamp, Kenny Bell, and Stanley Morgan all in there. And, and you know, Stanley, uh, besides all of his career records he now has uh, with the 1,000-yard single season and all of that, I mean, you just look at this season, uh, this past season rather, and you see how much Nebraska misses a guy like that who just takes up space, and you have to always account for a guy like Stanley Morgan. He never, maybe never made uh, the kind of – eye-popping athletic plays like a Kenny Bell or a, a J.D. Spielman, but, you know, he always had to take account for him, and he was just so consistent on every down. You have to put Stanley Morgan on there. Uh, also, Jordan Westerkamp, I mean, for if, if only for the circus catches alone. I mean, who can forget the behind-the-back catch he had a few years ago? I was in the stands for that, and that, that was incredible. He also, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, came up with the Hail Mary in Northwestern, so that he's yeah. just always a heads-up guy making a bunch of nice plays. And, and also Kenny Bell as well on here because, like you mentioned, Greg, he's the complete receiver. He's the complete package. And he also, of course, again, for the block he threw alone against Wisconsin in the mm-hmm. Big Ten Conference game, I mean, he, he's another um, a really incredible heads-up player. So Kenny Bell, Jordan Westgame, and Stanley Morgan, very tough to leave so off of Nunwa, but yeah. All three different a little bit. A little bit different. I mean, those five – as we go through this, that which is weird at Nebraska considering the school history, right? You know, that's maybe the best position group we're going to have, right? It's just tough because stats, different offenses, the stats can vary. Sure, you know, there's no doubt Nebraska playing particularly for Stanley's career at the Mike Riley offense, and really even to the Scott Frost offense, you're throwing a football probably more than guys in the mm-hmm. past. Because you, if you did an all-time Husker team, you certainly would put Johnny in here, although Johnny's been leapfrogged by a bunch of these guys in stats. And I'll just say this in my defense of Quincy, who's made the most money? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Quincy Inunua has had a very good pro career. There is, sure. b- Believe me, leaving him <laughs> off is not saying he's a bum. He, he was a fine player. All right. One more thing before we go to a break. Sure. Let's do the tight ends. Okay. You lead us off. I'll go with Seathan Carter. Good receiving threat down the field. Just under 60 catches career. And almost frustrated you that Nebraska wasn't able to use him more because right. he always seemed pretty dangerous. So, yeah, Seathan Carter's my tight end. Tim? I had to go with, and I'm not sure if it counts because he's a little bit of a tweener because uh, he played a little bit in the late 2000s, but I went with Kyler Reed. Ooh. And, you know, he had 67 catches. Um, I think that's the second most 
uh, in school history as for a tight end. He also had a thousand career receiving yards, and he was just a stud. I mean, a guy that just showed up and and was consistent. So Kyler Reed for my tight end. I think it's those two. I really mm-hmm. think when you judge the decade at the tight end spot, because it's. Two guys that just were athletically superior to pretty much anybody else in Nebraska throughout there. I did go with Seathan as well. Um, just a, a guy that probably was underutilized a lot yeah. in the Nebraska systems. And that's too bad because he was such a talented guy. And I know talking to Coach Riley during those years when Seathan was kind of in his heyday, they were trying to find ways. They were even doing reverses with him just to try to get the ball in his hands. But I think Kyler and Seathan are probably – a cut above anybody else you'd have at that position in the decade. Especially as a receiving tight end. I mean, yeah. it's tough to quantify what a guy can do blocking out on the edge, but those two were really the two great receiving threats at tight end for Nebraska the last 10 years. All right, very good. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back and talk about the offensive lineman. This was hard for me. We're going to do that coming up next. The Sports Nightly Top 10 Moments of the Year. Calling grandkids, Nebraska 15, Minnesota 3. Measuring it, waiting for it. He gloves it, and the Huskers have beaten number three, Texas Tech, here in Frisco, Texas tonight. 9 8. Sam Hybe goes the way of God! Sam Hybe gives Nebraska a four point Holy lead. Cow, the magnificent seven comes through in Chicago. Nebraska has become the fifth program in the history of college football to win 900 all time games. Number five. Kristen Krause the serve. It's in and a good one. Bad pass by Jazz. Left side for the match. Maddie Kubik. She got it. They did it. Nebraska beats Penn State in five. Call the grandkids. 15-13. A deuce game in the fed. And we go back to November the 2nd. Oscar Volleyball hosting Penn State. The Oscars survive in five sets. Here to reminisce with us, the voice of Husker Volleyball, John Baylor. Every time, every time those two teams play, JB, it's a classic. Oh, it's the greatest rivalry in the sport. Not even close. And uh, it's often worthy of a phone call to the grandkids. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> I miss those phone calls. Those are good ones. Uh, yeah, this was, a, this was another instant classic. I think what? Three, four, maybe all five games were deuce games. It, it, it absolutely as close a match as you can have, as worthy of the rivalry as anything we've seen in recent years. And if it was a regular season match, so no, it wasn't quite up to the standards of the 2017 National Semi in Kansas City, but it was a special a regular season match as you'll ever see. Hot. Penn State was held to hitting 166 in the match. Must have been a great night defensively for the Big Red. It was. Now, Penn State uh, offensively is not quite what they'll be next year. They're basically all going to be back. And, uh, you know, they, they, were, they were not yet the, the Penn State team of yore. I mean, they're probably trying to go with a five, effectively a five-seven setter. Uh, but that really shouldn't affect their offense a whole lot. Um, but, yeah, Nebraska just was throwing blankets on potent offenses most of the season, Minnesota. Penn State, I mean, everybody but Wisconsin and Stanford. So uh, that was our calling card this year. The the offense was a little inconsistent, didn't really know which passing team was going to show up, but you always had that defense. How much do you think the coaching staff gets revved up when they know they're playing Penn State? <laughs> a lot. I, uh, I remember, oh, it was the year, I think it was 2017, when uh, Brianna Holman – 
uh, before the match uh, is, is 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 basically going to be a scratch. And she uh, she because she's her, she's uh, got the, a, a virus and and all sorts of maladies. I forget the specifics, but she she goes up to the coach who says, you know, why don't you take it easy? It was early on in the season, and uh, take the night off and. Game time decision. You know, this is my last chance to play at Penn State. I am playing tonight, and she went off. She had one of her best matches of the year, and it, they, I'm not sure we want Brianna healthy ever. I mean, this is just <laughs> such a remarkable performance. That opponent, Penn State, brings that out of the Huskers, and I and I think vice versa. I mean, it's, it's been chronicled widely. John Cook, basically, when things weren't going so well, when things were really rolling for Penn State, they had the four straight national championships: 07, 08, 09, 10, two more, and 13. And 14, he said, you know, Penn State is our measure. That is our measuring stick. And we are going to compare ourselves uh, to that program, and they have, and very favorably of late. So absolutely, when Penn State's coming up on the schedule, they pay great attention to it. John Bader's with us. We're reliving the great games of 2019 broadcast here on the Oscar Sports Network. Number five is Nebraska's thrilling five-set win over Penn State. Oscars JB win the first set. Penn State wins the second. Nebraska wins the third. Penn State wins the fourth. Here we go to a fifth. It ends up 15-13 in the fifth. Yeah. There wasn't. There probably wasn't anybody sitting down that whole fifth set. I can't imagine anybody. Everybody had to be so nervous in that fifth set. Oh, absolutely. You know, blood pressure was being tested during that match. And you get your hamstrings. Uh, working hard when Penn State's in town. You're not going to sit back in a barca lounger and watch those matches, but that was as close as L.A. traffic. That was uh, just a uh, remarkable match. I mean, you've just got so much history there. We coached Cook 27 years. Russ Rose took the reins at Penn State when President Jimmy Carter was still in the White House. He's been there 41 oh. seasons, no end in sight. And uh, and and they've, they lived up to expectation and it just kept building i mean the, the drama just kept building and uh it, it just it, it and then it comes down to the fifth set and the huskers did win it by two but they had a little bit of an edge late so fans were breathing but when it was over you, you knew you would witness something special yeah i think i think listening to the end of the match i think you maybe even used the phrase this is an instant classic, and it's just another in the long saga of great matches between these two programs. Lexi Sun led Nebraska with 20 kills. Maddie Kubik with 15. JB, she was named today as a member of the all the freshman All American team. What a, what a year she had! What's the ceiling for that young lady? Very very high. Um, it's rare, especially in in the modern era, to have a a six rotation outside hitter who's as potent as Maddie at this level. I mean, you see it at mid, mid, uh, mid-level uh, programs, but a top 15 program, a top 10 program where you have a true freshman playing all the way around, that's going to really pay dividends barring injury uh, over the next three years. I mean, she is going to be a grizzled veteran if she isn't already very, very soon. And uh, uh, it's, it, it's very exciting for Husker fans to, to think through because at the beginning of the year, remember, Greg, we weren't sure who the reliable outside hitter is going to be. We weren't sure who the two were going to be. And, you know, Maddie and Lexi emerge, and they are terminating in transition, um, out of system all the time. And Maddie's so good at, like, attacking off of hands, like intentionally tooling blocks. And, and for her to master that at such a young age, she's going to be an offensive force, and she's just getting better and better as a passer. Now, early in the season – 
two-thirds of the opposing serves were targeting Maddie. She was the weak link, allegedly, as a passer. By the end of the year, Maddie was getting at most one-third of the serves. So she was growing before our eyes in every facet. Very good. John Bader with us, the voice of Husker Volleyball. Volleyball ended Saturday night. How were you surprised that Stanford handled Wisconsin as easily as they did? Absolutely. I was stunned. I have no idea what Wisconsin team was there. I, I, I did not recognize that team at all. It was just stunning, Greg. I mean, they played quite well on Thursday in their win over Baylor, but not the team that, that we saw twice. And then they bore no resemblance to what I had witnessed twice in person against uh, Nebraska. And it's really too bad because it was an opportunity for a new team to break through and, and get to the top rung and to win a championship. And here Stanford instead wins their ninth championship ever. So we just have 10 teams in 39 years that have won championships. And you, you, everyone talks about parity, and, boy, it's more and more evident uh, every season. But no one was able to break through uh, because Wisconsin played one of its worst matches, I thought. Now, that could be Stanford. I mean, it's not clear, but Stanford just had a transcendent player in, in Catherine Plummer. But but I just didn't think that someone could beat Wisconsin. I thought it was their title to lose, and it wasn't close. I mean, there was not a close set among the three. So disappointing for the Big Ten, disappointing for Wisconsin. They're, all their major contributors are back next year. They're obviously going to be on a mission. It's their final year. Haggerty's a senior. Recky's a senior. Sidney Hilly, the setter's a senior. Lauren Barnes, the libero a parent as a senior they are going to be on a mission folks i know all the huskers are back i know everyone's going to be very excited and it's a very promising year with a very high ceiling we got another big monster uh, team in conference and they didn't get it done this year so you can only imagine their motivation for their senior campaign next year all right well, we're going to look forward to it. well we, we appreciate you coming on and reminiscing with us four straight times nebraska and penn state have gone the distance, and JB seven of the last ten meetings have gone five sets. I know what I do. When I, when that schedule comes out, April, May, whenever it is, I look when Nebraska's playing Penn State and how many times are they playing them. Uh, and hopefully next year we'll get to play them twice. But, you know, that's a great point. Kelly Hunter beat Nebraska, uh, Penn State seven times in a row. Oh. So the question is – Seven times around. She was seven for seven as a first team, as as the starter, um, all all around uh, setter. So the question became, you know, is is John Cook Bill Belichick like he requires Tom Brady Brady to be a fabulous coach? You know, he can he only beat Penn State with uh, Kelly Hunter, and we proved last year with Nicklin, uh, two years ago I should say, winning one out of two. Uh, and then this year taking down uh, Penn State. So Nebraska has now beaten Penn State nine out of the last ten times. It's just stunning. And yeah, Kelly Hunter and now Nicklin and the system, and it, it's been super close. It's, uh, but it's just a, it's a fun thing to watch. And for the moment, Nebraska's got Penn State's number. Oh, love it. JB, we appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Couple days. Hey, thanks so much, Greg. Same to you. Merry Christmas. You Chatting with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. Bowl season is underway. Good evening, Adam. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Greg. Hope you're doing well, and happy holidays to you and all your listeners. Fantastic. Right back at you. Bowl season is underway, and I want to start with the Vegas Bowl. I think we all expected more out of the Huskies of Washington throughout the year. They finally showed us that. That was an impressive performance for Coach Peterson's last game. It was, and I think they were certainly playing with a lot of emotion, which maybe they didn't have at times this season. It was kind of a weird year for them, right, because uh, they, they've been so good in the league and 
you know, Jacob Eason was stepping in at quarterback. But I think in hindsight, uh, some of the issues with the offense, uh, you know, just cropped, cropped up too much uh, over the course of the year. But it did all come together nicely for them. And they beat a really good Boise State team convincingly to send Chris Peterson out, at least for now, on a high note. It, you know, a lot of people were saying this after the game, and I echo it. it it's hard to imagine that we have seen the last of Chris Peterson. What an incredible career if we have. Uh, hopefully and selfishly, I hope we get to see him again coaching. But if not, that was uh, quite a way to go out. What, where do they go from here? What what have they what moves have they made now with with Chris out the door? Well, Jimmy Lake stepping in as the new head coach, and I really like this move. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you promote someone from within based on emotion, and it doesn't work out. But I think Jimmy has been ready for this role. He's turned down head coaching opportunities. He's been, um, you know, kind of in the shadows as a, a really good leader within the program who maybe isn't known a whole lot outside of Seattle. But I think as soon as people, you know, get, get to hear him speak and, and get to know him like I have over the years, uh, they're going to see this guy is, is really special and I think was a, a really good choice to take over for Chris Peterson, a guy that's learned under Chris Peterson but has a very different personality, in my opinion, much more outgoing than than Chris was, at least, you know, with, with media and so forth. And then, you know, they are looking for a new offensive coordinator. They, they let uh, Bush Hamdan and another, another offensive assistant go earlier this week. That was expected. And so now Jimmy Lake going to make his first significant hire uh, with the offensive coordinator spot because that was an offense, like I mentioned, that had really struggled uh, at times this year despite a lot of talent. So that's going to be a really interesting move to watch. There's actually a lot of offensive coordinator openings right now in the Pac-12. Oregon's still looking for one. Cal is also still looking for one. USC keeping Graham Harrell was very big for them. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a big, big job that Jimmy Lake will be filling in Seattle. Adam, you mentioned USC. We're, we're coming off the, the first of the two signing days, and USC had a wretched class that was announced last week. I think most of the recruiting services have them in the 70s. What happened out there? Well, I think you have a situation where, uh, you know, again, I think Clay Helton's future was a topic even before the season, and then everyone assumed you know, he was going to be let go. You know, they had their quarterback who was committed to them flip to Alabama. You know, some other recruits go to Oregon. You know, Clemson has been more active in Southern California, so it's seen as a very vulnerable program. But I think what's interesting is in keeping Clay Helton, Athletic Director Mike Bone, who's new at, at USC, said, you know, we need to build up some infrastructure elements. And I think it was a, a kind of, not a shot, but, but, but a commentary on the fact that USC has maybe not had enough uh, of a recruiting operation. I mean, you know what it's like there at Nebraska. We see what it's like at Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama and Texas. USC, I think, still for years was just relying on the fact that it was USC. And that's just not the way that you can recruit anymore in this environment, especially when you have a competitor like Oregon with Mario Cristobal leading the way as the head coach that's very aggressive in their recruiting approach in Southern California. So, uh, you know, it certainly has a lot to do with Clay Helton, but I think it also has to do with how their staff uh, was and the resources and everything that goes into recruiting in 2019, nearly 2020, that had not been up to par for USC. But it's certainly not a good thing. Now, here's the thing, though. Clay Helton still has to win next year, and he still has a roster, in my view, that's good enough to compete for the Pac-12 championship. Adam Rittenberg is with us from ESPN.com. Adam, people may who maybe only kind of fringe follow college football, and now with a holiday here in the middle of the week, may be surprised that the semifinals are in five days. I mean, these are going to sneak up on us here on Saturday. Let's talk about the first matchup, LSU-Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got some issues, don't they? They're going to miss three or four main parts of their team on Saturday. 
Yeah, unfortunately, you know, the combination of suspension and injury to a key defensive back, they aren't going to be at full strength. And we'll see if LSU is at full strength. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, their, their stud running back, uh, you know, had a hamstring issue last week and you know, may or may not play. But uh, I think the issues are, are much greater for Oklahoma, and that's a concern because they're a big underdog going into this game. And they're going to need their defense, which has been much improved this year under first-year coordinator Alex Grinch, to be at its best to contain an offense that no one's really contained other than Auburn this year. So uh, that, that, that concerns me that, that Oklahoma won't be at full strength defensively, and I just don't think they're going to be able to keep pace with LSU. Uh, but, you know, stranger things have happened. Jalen Hurts certainly knows what he's doing in this building. He won a national championship in this building. He's won an SEC championship in this building in Atlanta. But uh, this is a real, real test for Oklahoma. They haven't seen an offense. Uh, like the one they'll see from LSU all season. All right, the, the second one is the one I think has got everybody's attention, and that is the Fiesta Bowl with Ohio State and Clemson. People are favoring Clemson, and I get that. They're the national champs, and they've looked really good the last couple of weeks. But have they played anybody even close to the athletes that they're going to see from Ohio State on Saturday? No, and, and that's the interesting part of this, Greg, because I think everybody that's watched Clemson respects what they've done and who they are and the fact that they've been on this stage against teams like Ohio State and they've dominated them. We saw what happened last year against Notre Dame and Alabama, but this is undoubtedly a huge step up in competition for them. Ohio State has faced really good teams. They, they went up against uh, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin twice and Penn State and, and some other pretty good teams in the Big Ten. Clemson hasn't faced that. Now, they've been dominant, and they, and they know what to do in the playoffs. But uh, I think there's going to be a bit of a shock, uh, at least when they see how good Justin Fields is and see how good Ohio State's defense is. Are they going to be able to match that? Um, we know they're capable of doing it, but it's another thing to be capable, one thing to be capable, another one to actually rise to the occasion. But it's hard to doubt <laughs> what, what Clemson has done, Greg, the last five years. Uh, especially in the playoff situations, they've been really, really good. And, you know, Davo Sweeney has them motivated by exactly what we're talking about, the fact that they haven't played anybody and they haven't gotten a lot of respect. Uh, their league hasn't gotten a lot of respect. So it's pretty easy to get motivated for this game anyway. But I think Clemson has that extra edge just because they're the defending national champions. They haven't lost a game all season, and yet they weren't even in the conversation to be number one heading into the playoff. Yeah. All right. Uh, a lot of people have kind of done the uh, the old anxiety with Jim Delaney as he gets ready to exit the scene as the longtime commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. He talked about what he thinks could happen down the road in college football. Did you – I'm sure that that got some headlines across the country, didn't it? That it looks like he at least thinks the door is partially open for an eight-team playoff at some point in time. Yes. Yeah, I was one of the reporters who was able to do an exit interview of, of sorts with Jim and just talk about a lot of different things over an incredible career, a transformative career, in my view, as far as a, a league administrator. And he told me that you know he believes that if the ACC or the SEC champion is left out of the playoffs, that will spur this thing to get to eight because those leagues were the ones that really pushed for the 14 playoff to begin with. And they haven't experienced the pain of being left out. And he did not hold back as far as what that, what that experience is like to have your league left out of the playoff and the damage that it does to your brand, the damage that it does to your recruiting, the morale. It doesn't really matter what you do in the bowl season. Obviously the PAC 12 and Larry Scott have talked about this recently, but you know, the big 10 being left out the last two years, 
experienced that, and he, he really thinks that if that were to happen to the SEC especially, but even the ACC, that would you know cause a, a little bit of uh, rumbling to, to get this thing to expand to A, which I do think it will eventually. All right. Where are you, are you home base for the bowl games or are you heading somewhere? I'm actually out in California visiting family, which helps me a little bit with some of these kickoff times, including the Cheez-It Bowl, which I know you like on Friday sure. night. But yeah. uh, I'll be out here through, through the playoff. And uh, no, no bowl games for me. I'll be at the coaches' convention in about a week, uh, a week and a half, I should say. Um, and, uh, but I'll be watching all the games out here and, and enjoying them, hopefully. Very good. Well, enjoy the, the time with your family. Enjoy watching all this great college football, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Have a great holiday, and, and Happy New Year. Your state. Your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. White Missouri's the back in the backfield with Adrian. Hickman in motion to the near side. Snap back. Adrian gives it off to Missouri. He's got a first down. 10-5. Touchdown. Nebraska. Wyatt Missouri's first touchdown of the year. Sports Nightly during the holidays is presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. With over 6,000 new and pre-owned vehicles in stock, visit woodhouse.com to browse the entire inventory. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Warren. Here we are, Christmas week, Monday edition. It's our only live show until Thursday. Best of's coming your way tomorrow night and Wednesday night. We're back with another live edition for you on Thursday. We got shopping to do, so we, we got to get out of here for a while, <laughs> right? All right, <laughs> got got some finishing touches to put on. Oh, I just I hope I don't have to go to the grocery store tomorrow. I just don't really want to walk into a grocery store tomorrow. No, the high V's are going to just be loaded. Yeah. The the helpful smiles, but yeah. there are going to be uh, a lot of a lot of people asking a lot of things very frantically of those people behind the helpful no, smiles. No doubt. All right, here we have coming up this hour, Weekend Rewind, then we'll have some open phones to talk about a few few things. We're going to keep track of this Monday night football game going on between the Vikings and the Packers. But we start the hour with the Rewind. See the game last night? Which game? Any of them. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat is taking the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way. And so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, to the 24-yard line. They've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. Let's check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David. Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. It's the Weekend Rewind with Nate Rohr. That is the height and the low of of the sports broadcasting (laughs) profession right there. One spectrum to the other. Yeah, Kevin Harlan describing anything is about as good as anything gets. And then that poor kid, he's just a poor college kid. Messing stuff up. I, I'm, boom goes the dynamite. And boom goes the dynamite. I'm glad a lot of my uh, distinguished work on Star City News on the UNL campus isn't Speaking uh, floating around. of college broadcasters, did I see you uh, consorting with the enemy the other day? What's this? Were you seen spotted 
hanging out with a member of the North Dakota staff. Ah, uh, yes. Did, did, I, did, is this, did I get accurate information yeah, on this? You have, yes. Uh, an old friend of, of mine, Kyle Doporolsky, is in the athletic administration. UNL grad. Yeah, a Nebraska grad, former track athlete, uh, former fill-in for uh, yours truly on one Husker softball game. I had to mess for the uh, Big 12 uh, wrestling championships. But anywho, he was down uh, with... North Dakota basketball, he wasn't feeling great about their chances, but boy, he uh, is happy bus ride back north for him. So, so my sources were correct. Nate Rohr was breaking bread with a member of the opposition. Yeah, how about that? Uh, <laughs> actually, our old uh, director of softball ops has a brother that plays for North Dakota, too. Seriously? Yeah. So in the uh, small world of college athletics. So they have softball at UND? Uh, so... They do. Because I know what North Dakota State does. Yeah, uh, North Dakota just dropped baseball, but they do have softball up there. But our old director of softball ops, Katie Brown, uh, she played at Iowa. Her brother uh, plays for North Dakota, actually wow. starts okay. for the uh, Fighting Hawks, not and the Fighting Sioux. They do have a young man. I know you're stealing part of your That's deal fine. here. They have a young man from York who got some game time the other day. Uh, the Danielson kid, Brady yeah, Danielson. Brady Danielson. was from York. Yeah, and North Dakota has recruited uh, Nebraska a little bit in football and in basketball. So, and just as well, that's that's part of the tough part of North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota, South Dakota State going D1. Yeah. So that there are options close now. I so. don't know that you have it on there. Did you put the FCS playoffs on your deal? I did not. Okay, that's fine. Because North Dakota State's back in the championship. They won again. It's going to be them and James Madison. It's been those two teams that have kind of dominated that level yeah. for a couple of years. There they go again. They're going to match up for the title. Cole Hain just as well he look is. at uh, James Madison as well, conference rival. He needs. I think he has to pay taxes in Frisco, Texas, as often as he goes down there to call games. So oh, you wonder if he gets the same room every year. You know the same the the. Pillows fluff the Could. same way. Yeah, they probably know Jeff when he walks in the hotel or whatever. Exactly. Frequent flyer down there. All right. Weekend before Christmas, Pinnacle Bank Arena was hopping, not just with graduates. Congratulate, congratulations, fellow graduates of UNL. But then on Saturday, as Greg mentioned, Husker Hoops took on North Dakota. Didn't go great. UND had the early jump in that game, led by five at half. Hung on to hold off the Huskers, seventy-five to seventy-four, dropping in U to five and seven, blunting what had been a pretty good week of basketball out of the Huskers, and a step back for this team as they go to the Christmas break. Yeah, we talked about it a lot in hour one. It almost feels like two steps forward, one step back, and that's what Saturday was—the inability to lock it in, win a game that you were heavily favored to do so, and go to your little five-day break with. Good feelings. Now they got to sit there and stew about that this whole time. And gnash their teeth. And I'm sure the practices will have a little more edge to them uh, once they return to Lincoln. So Husker men lose on Saturday. But then on Sunday, the women taking on Manhattan. And they got some sharpshooting off the bench. Leah Brown for three. You betcha. Leah Brown ties her career high with her fourth three. 25 points for Leah Brown, 9 for 15 shooting overall, including 4 of 7 from behind the arc. And the Husker women cruise to a 71-51 win over Manhattan. And you talk about good feelings versus bad feelings going into the Christmas break. 
The uh, Husker women at 10 and 1 going into the Christmas break. Got to be feeling pretty good. They've done what you needed to do in the non-conference to set your up for set yourself up for postseason because you can really cost yourself in the hierarchy. The league games carry more weight. I get that. But mm-hmm. if you don't take care of business and you look at that non-conference, Nate, they won at Missouri, so they beat an SEC team on the road. They beat USC in a neutral side out in Vegas, a uh, Pac-12 team. Mm-hmm. And then they beat Duke at home, beat an ACC team at home. Those are three really nice wins that are going to look good in the resume come March. Yeah, we're going to hear about those uh, in March, I would think, unless uh, the Big Ten season totally goes awry. But the women win it by 20 over Manhattan at home, uh, outboard the Jaspers by uh, 15. So a nice job on the glass by the women. So they cruise to their 10th win in their last 11 games. Broadening our scope a little bit. Of course, the bowl season has heated up, and the best bowl game of the weekend was in Las Vegas. At least on paper, it looked like the best bowl game was in Las Vegas. Chris Peterson taking the field for the final time as Washington's head coach against 19th-ranked Boise State, the institution that he put on the map. But the Huskies, disappointing all year, finally came up with a big performance. 2.38 left in the season. Huskies rolling. Handoff. Ahmed breaks past the line, breaks into the end zone. That's the exclamation point. Touchdown, Savan Ahmed. The Huskies lead Boise State 37-7. And the final tally, 38-7. Chris Peterson, winner in his final game as a head coach. Washington led it 24-0, five minutes out of halftime. Jacob Eason, efficient 22-32 210 yards and the real story Washington's run defense holding Boise to just 78 yards on the ground. Dominant performance. Yes. Really was over a pretty good quality Boise State team. We had, I'm just looking back, we had Washington 19th in our preseason top 25. Was that their eighth win? Did they go eight and five with that one? I think think that's that's right. Probably won't land in the post top 25. I don't think 8 and 5 gets them in there. No, probably received votes. Yeah. yeah. There may be a few uh, votes that swing their way because they impressively blew out a nationally ranked team, but uh, I think it'd be a pretty big ask to get them into the top 25, but one last great performance yeah. for Chris Peterson. We were talking with Adam Rittenberg last hour, and he, he's holding out hope that Chris Peterson comes back to the coaching ranks, but a lot of the buzz is the door is closing for him, and, and he's walking away, which is a shame because he was excellent at Boise State, and he did a good job for a Washington program that's really been adrift the last 10 years or so. Yeah, he did. He had him, he had him on that. Well, they're in the playoff a few years mm-hmm. ago. He's had him on that upward trajectory. Something happened this year. We're not close enough to the program to really know it. They, they did underachieve. They should have been better than they were this year. Maybe something was going on that we don't know about that he feels like he couldn't get flipped, and that's why he's walking away. Yeah, it just got to be so frustrating for him and all the times in his career he made you know something out of nothing or, or pretty close to it. But with a talented roster, he wasn't able to push Washington into national contention. They have a good finish to their year, though, a 38-7 win over Boise. One of six bowl games on Saturday in the New Orleans Bowl 20th ranked Appalachian State without their head coach Elijah Drinkwitz moving on to Missouri and the Mountaineers defeat UAB 31 to 17 App State ran off 17 straight points 
to take the lead in that one. Darrington Edwards ran for 157 yards in that contest, and UAB just could not run the football in that game. So Appy State, nice finish to their year, 31-17. In the New Mexico Bowl, we said keep it on. You were able to flip away pretty quickly because San Diego State dominated Central Michigan 48-11. to Central Michigan, a non-con foe for the Huskers. Next year, this was a game the Aztecs led 34-3 midway through the third quarter and had a very easy time over the Chippewas of Central Michigan. They got dominated. They did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it was not close. Yeah, getting run out of the building and... Championship game, a sour finish to the year for the Chips. In the Cure Bowl, Hugh Freeze. Boy, I feel good for this guy, but whatever. <laughs> uh, 23-16, Liberty over George Southern. In a game that Liberty led 23-7 early third quarter and hung on to win. Hugh Freeze from the hospital bed to the Cure Bowl championship. What a story. I guess. <laughs> Sleazy guy from Mississippi. What he did at Ole Miss, no thanks. Blindside guy. Yeah, the blindside and and blindsided the NCAA rules quite a bit during his time in the Grove. (laughs) Uh, Boca Raton Bowl. Florida Atlantic wins a home game 52-28 over SMU. This game was tied at 14, and then the Owls run off 31 straight points to take control of this one. The final game of the Lane Kiffin era. Lane didn't coach, but... That was his team out there throttling the ponies. Took care of them, didn't they? I was a little surprised by that. I thought yeah. they would be a little disjointed without Kiffin around, but they were pretty low. Home game for them. Sure. Played in their stadium. Yeah. Life's pretty good when yeah. you know where everything is and where when, you, uh, when you're when you playing in your own building. And speaking of Ole Miss, that's where Lane Kiffin's yes, at Yes, he is. Oh, boy. That should be... Hotty toddy. Yeah, hopefully the NCAA investigators are taking up residence right now in Oxford, Mississippi. Finally, in the Camellia Bowl, Arkansas State, a 34-26 winner over Florida Atlantic. This one's a feel-good win for uh, Coach Anderson of Arkansas State. His wife died uh, with breast cancer earlier this year. And uh, to end the year on a high note, I'm sure soften that a little bit, just a tiny bit. By all... By all... Well, what I've heard, he's a great guy. People mm-hmm. around the coaching industry speak pretty highly of him. They played here a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, good man. Glad he got a win. So a good way to finish that year. Lane Hatcher of the Red Wolves threw for 393 yards and four touchdowns. Found Omar Bayless nine times for 180 yards and a score. So busy day Saturday in college football. It's also a very interesting day in college basketball as number one went down again. 18th ranked Villanova, 56-55 over the then top ranked Kansas Jayhawks. Jermaine Samuels hit a three-pointer with 20 seconds to go to give the Cats the lead. For good, Samuels led Nova in scoring with 15. And Kansas is the fifth number one team to lose this year. So Gonzaga... Steps into the top spot. They are the sixth number one team this college basketball season. Do you see a great team? I don't. Uh-uh. And I've watched quite a bit of hoops in the last one. I don't. I see. I think that this. it's going to make the NCAA tournament really hard to project because I don't see three or four teams that are clearly best. Maybe Gonzaga. I've been pretty impressed with them the couple times I've caught them. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at Gonzaga. But for the most part, I would agree that this is a fairly even year in college basketball. And you look at things, and this is 
kind of where the trend's heading. I mean, when Virginia's playing Texas Tech for national championships. And Auburn's in the final and four. And Auburn's in the final four. And we've seen more and more mid-level or you know programs that aren't your blue bloods making it to the final four. And last year's final four was the, the, the picture of that with three of them, not really blue blood programs. I think that's going to become more of the norm. I, yeah. You know, with everything going on, whether it's NCAA, whether it's one and dones, it's going to be tough for those blue bloods to keep a stranglehold on college basketball. Right now, Kentucky would not be an NCAA tournament team. They wouldn't make the field. <laughs> North Carolina, I don't think, would make the field right now. UCLA is not going to make the field. Right. I mean, those are three of the prime ones that right now they can play themselves in. They got a long season to go. But right now, they do not have a resume worthy of being in the tur- in the tournament. Yeah, it's just shocking. You speak of Kentucky, by the way. The Wildcats had a bad run in Vegas. Oh. Came home with empty pockets and two losses. They lost to Utah earlier in the week. They also lost to fifth-ranked Ohio State in the uh, CBS Sports Classic in Vegas. As the Bucks won it, seventy-one to sixty-five, and Ohio State three players in double digits, led by DJ Carton, who had fifteen points, and the Bucks with three wins over the top ten. That's that's impressive, even with the shifting sands atop college basketball. Ohio State's putting together a nice little season so far. They are. They lost by like twenty at Minnesota last week. Yeah, but I think my, they're my favorite to win the league. Sitting here on December 23rd. I think they're the team to beat in the league. Uh, you know, Michigan State hasn't been quite the team that we no. thought they'd be. And and then after that, I think it drops off a little bit. I, you know, Maryland's in the mix. Maybe. But, I mean, and I know the Spartans are 2-0 in the league. They have the – but to me, I think oh, I've been the most impressed with Ohio State of anybody in the conference up to this point. Right. I Three wins over the top ten by New Year's. That's pretty good. That, that's a good start. Mm-hmm. You talk about NCAA resumes. They got it. That that's a pretty good resume, and it'll keep them in the discussion for a top one, top two mm-hmm. seed in a regional somewhere. And, and Minnesota, March. who whipped the Buckeyes, went to Tulsa over the weekend and took care of Oklahoma State. I don't sure. know if that's on your list or not, but that was a good win for Coach Patino. They went to the BOK Center down there in Tulsa, which is about 45 minutes from Stillwater, and they hammered the pokes. Yeah, stacking some chips, and, you know, the uh, Patino always seems like he's in a little bit of trouble. But, yep. you know, big win against Ohio State, and then the uh, non-con win over Oklahoma State. That'll take a little heat off of uh, Little Richie. They're just 6-5, and five, but that's two good wins for them. Sure, yeah. and, and that can keep your head above water yep. and build some confidence, and then maybe they come back from New Year's ready to – ready to roll in the Big Ten. Speaking of Big Ten, the uh, Crossroads Classic in Indianapolis, four teams from the state of Indiana all squaring off, and Purdue fell again, 70-61. to 61. Butler took care of the Boilermakers. Uh, Purdue, kind of odd. You know, usually a, pretty, a team with a pretty good low post presence, shot just 33% from the field, hit 45% from three, and still lost. Still lost by nine to Butler. So for seven and five. Yeah, the, the Boilers are kind of sputtering right now. In the other game in that tournament, Indiana 62-61 over Notre Dame. So the Hoosiers, another close win, but they'll sure take it. They're 11 and one. What that? 11 and one. Okay. I, I'm still not convinced I, about the direction I, of the program. There, I'm with but, you. But 
just win, baby. Yeah. Especially this year in college basketball. They almost blew that game. I watched some of that. I did what you told me to do on Friday. I had the remote going. Okay. They had a double-digit lead. Notre Dame came roaring back, took the lead for a moment, but Indiana prevailed, winning by two. But they just darn near kicked that one away. And and that would have gotten some teeth gnashing going in Indiana. Oh, you better. As if there there isn't some already about uh, Archie Miller's program there in Bloomington. So, busy day. We talked a lot about college football on Saturday. Big day college basketball Saturday. The NFL, a triple header on Saturday. All three games were good, including the game up north in Buffalo with the Bills leading at 17-16. Patriots driving, though, five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And with a chance to lock up yet another AFC East championship, Patriots put the ball in the hands of a former Husker. He's in motion. First and goal. And Brady gives to Burkhead, who is bouncing off a tackle and into the end zone for a go-ahead touchdown. Rex Burkhead with a touchdown run to give the Patriots the lead. Patriots went for two to boost the lead to 24-17. That was their final score up in Buffalo, New England, for the 11th straight time. The AFC East champions. And, and probably a bye. They still have to win this week to hold the Chiefs off, but probably a bye. Now... The other story that relates to that game deals with Major League Baseball pitcher Rich Hill and his <laughs> wife, Caitlin. She had an oversized bag, and everybody who goes to Memorial Stadium or Pinnacle Bank Arena mm-hmm. knows there's these now, these bag policies. She tried to enter Gillette Stadium with an oversized bag. They told her no. She threw a big ruckus. They they were escorting her to put her into a police caravan. He, Rich Hill, the pitcher, who's I think a free agent right now, yeah, try, intervene. He tried to pull his wife out of the car. <laughs> he then gets arrested outside for disorderly conduct and disobeying police. So the Hills got in trouble trying to get into the stadium to watch the Patriots and the Bills. <laughs> the Hills that? in trouble to watch the Pats and Bills. Oh the my! Oversized bag got him. Yeah. It- you got to live by the same rules as the rest of us there, right? Major League Baseball families. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much trouble they ha- they've they had with that at the gates, but come on now. What are you doing taking your luggage into the ballpark there, Hill family? And I'm going to guess he has the money to get him into a luxury <laughs> oh, yeah. box he, if he really – if they really well, wanted to bring something big in there. That's probably where they were headed. Shit. But I don't think you can even take that in, you know, through the – Maybe the policy is different in Memorial Stadium, but I think you have to abide by that policy whether you're sitting in GA or science seats or in the suites. She huh. just wouldn't let go of her bag. Oh, man. Whoops. That's that's a good way to, to make life more difficult for your family and your husband and everything else. And I, I'm sure they had prepared for the game adequately uh, in the uh, parking lot, and that, that only exacerbated things. <laughs> Oops. So, good game up at uh, Gillette, a one-score game. That was the middle game in the triple header on Saturday. The first game wrapped up the AFC South Championship for Houston. Texans over the Bucks, 23-20 in a game that the Texans led 17-3 early in the second quarter. Tampa scored twice back-to-back. Teams traded field goals. And then Kami Fairburn with a 37-yard field goal midway through the fourth quarter to give the win to the Texans. Jameis Winston, four picks Terrible. in the game. And, Just awful. And he'd been playing better lately, but, boy, he was he was rough uh, on uh, on Saturday. And 
That opened the door for the Texans to take their fourth AFC South championship in the last five years, which is pretty impressive for a franchise that's pretty quiet. I mean, they're not mentioned among the Super Bowl contenders very often, but they've been solid in that division, especially as Tennessee has kind of sputtered and Indianapolis has cycled through quarterbacks with Andrew Luck and Jacksonville has Jacksonville'd. No doubt. So, a good run for the Houston Texans. Final game of the night. It was the best one. Game was tied at 31 between the Rams and the 49ers going down the stretch. But then Robbie Gould hit a 33-yard field goal as time expired. And that gave the 49ers a 34-31 win over the Rams. And that, coupled with the loss by Seattle to Arizona, put the... 49ers on the inside track not just for the NFC West championship but also home field throughout in the NFC playoffs which would be quite helpful for the 49ers yeah so big field goal hit there by Robbie Gould in a game where the 49ers had a pick six but otherwise Jared Goff played pretty well for the Rams 323 yards and uh, Garoppolo was not terribly inspiring just one touchdown two picks but was enough. San Francisco inside track in the NFC West. The NFC playoffs are going to be must-watch TV. Oh, yeah. Loaded. I mean, just looking at the field right now, you've got five 10-win teams. Yes. Five out of six. Yeah. That's not bad. The one that isn't is the Eagles. That's right. And they did themselves a good amount of good by beating the Cowboys 17-9 to in Philadelphia. And with that win, the Eagles basically took control of their own destiny in the NFC East. They merely have to beat the Giants or hope for a Dallas loss to the Redskins to win the NFC East championship. If the Cowboys are to win the East and make the playoffs, they'll need to beat Washington and then have the Giants knock off the Eagles. So right now your playoff picture, the Ravens are the number one seed and they've got that locked up. Then the Patriots are the two seed, so they get a first round bye in the AFC playoffs. The Chiefs sitting in the three seed after their win on Sunday night football over the Bears. They would play the Tennessee Titans, who are 8-7 and seven right now. And then the Texans would host the Bills in the AFC. Then in the NFC, Niners the one seed, Saints the two, Vikings and Packers. And then the Eagles hosting the Seahawks in the other NFC playoff game. Going to be fun. Yeah, the NFC playoffs are legit. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. Um, There'll be some teams that take Sunday off and play the backups. There are some teams still fighting for position, so you should have some competitive games this week. No doubt about it. You think of the Chiefs, for instance, eyeing that that second season, the ones off. So they do have to play it out because, I mean, they're playing at noon, too. So it's not as if... They'll have any information as to what the Patriots are doing. Right. So they've got to play it out. The Patriots obviously have to play it out. And all of a sudden, the Dolphins aren't bad. They've yeah. kind of found a little something. The Dolphins are kind of respectable. They, yeah. And the Cincinnati Bengals mathematically clinched the number one pick in the draft with their overtime loss. So bad news for Zach Taylor and the Bengals and that they lose, but good news that they've got the one. Who is the one? Don't know. Well, good question. I don't, do they take Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow's pretty tempting. Do you take Chase Young? I mean, where, where, where do you need help? Can you win enough with Andy Dalton to go get something to help your defense? I don't know. I don't know what they'll do with it. Yeah, I. And is Burrow a 
franchise-saving quarterback. I, I don't know that he is. Maybe he is. I don't know. I don't know. I Chase Young's pretty sure bet. I, if he comes out, there's some discussion. Right? I mean, oh, I expect him to come out. He's but gone. Hey, there was he, he said something a week or so ago saying he'd at least consider coming back to Ohio State. It's a great discussion point. You're right. The Bengals now have it. Do they go quarterback, which is what you normally do? Sure. Or do you do something else? You have to hit on this pick, though. And so often the Bengals have picked high and failed. And missed. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Chase Young's pretty sure bad if he comes out. Plus an Ohio State guy, which that factors ding, in. Ding, 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 I know, ding. I know Joe Burrow played his high school ball in Ohio, but. Right. And was a Buckeye. Right. Yeah. All right, good stuff. You betcha. Great weekend. weekend. It really was. Callers into our show. Dot us up on our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Bowl games, one today, one tomorrow, a bunch at the end of the week, including the national semifinals. A story that I briefly touched on Friday night when I couldn't find you. You finally showed up for the third hour of the show, but was the news that came out Friday night that CBS had backed out of the negotiations with the SEC for a future football contract that it's going to go to Disney and ESPN ABC. CBS has got to still be a player somewhere in college football, don't they? Oh, you would think. The problem is it's a couple of years before the Big Ten comes up, and that's that's sort of the next big contract that comes up. Do they swoop in and get the Pac-12? Possibly, but I don't know that there's enough juice there. I mean, it could be a nice bargain buy, especially right now. I'm surprised they let the SEC go without a fight because... Well, they put $300 million on the table. I'm and- surprised they didn't fight harder. I mean, they've most TV media watchers, uh, most people who cover you know sports TV say they were getting a bargain all these years. I mean, that's a great television package. As it they is. say, the best game in the best conference right week after week week after week i mean how do you let that go i i i don't know how you do it i i i dislike this on about seven different levels though because the fact that cbs loses the sec the word is they're going to go to espn we know how sec centric espn is now duck and cover it's going to get worse. Then, then they got to get in. They got to get in bed with the Big Ten. They have to, right? So that's what you have to go do. I mean, see, and I hope CBS does, if for no other reason than the great theme music for college football <laughs> on CBS. But I, I, I hope, and this is where the Big Ten can also dangle things out there and and you know ask for a little more money, and and hopefully they do, which means more money for coaches, facilities, etc. But it, it, this could end up being good for the Big Ten, but for college football writ large, and especially for the next two years, where college football's coverage is already SEC-centric, it's only going to get worse on ESPN if they're carrying the entire SEC schedule, which it looks like they're going to do. Yeah. 
Well, the the new TV deals are coming up again here in the next couple of years. So that's the first domino is going to fall to the SEC, and that'll set the bar for everybody else. Well, we're going to step out of here for the next couple of nights. Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas to Nate and your family. Uh, we're back here on Thursday night. Merry Christmas to you and yours too, Greg. We'll get after it at that point in time. Thanks to Brett and to Tim for being a part of this show tonight. Enjoy your next couple of days. We will have best ofs here on the network the next two nights. But we're back with you with a live show on Thursday night. Have a great night. Merry Christmas.